Hello there, and welcome to End Credits here on CFRU 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, Guelph Campus and Community Radio. I'm your host, Adam A. Donaldson, and joining me today is... Tim Phillips. Tim, you are very welcome back here on the show. How are you? Oh, thanks. (laughs) (laughs) That's a good sign. (laughs) When you went that long pregnant pause, I thought it was going to be like, you are no longer on the show. <laughs> welcome on, welcome to the show. You're fired. <laughs> I, would, I would point out, uh, you know, Donald Trump would always fire the person at the end of The Apprentice, not the beginning. I think it would have been an act of startling imagination if he had fired people at the beginning of the episode <laughs> and not the end. But shake it up a bit. Yeah, shake, yeah, shake it up a bit. But um, we're we're like three hundred some odd episodes into this thing, so uh, we got a good thing going. Awesome. Yeah, I'm glad. <laughs> Get me shaking there for a second. <laughs> An early Christmas present. You're fired. Anyway. <laughs> All right. Can't really fire people who do this or volunteer anyway. Anyway. No. Uh, and credits. It's a local movie show for local movie fans. We're here every Wednesday at 3 p.m. to talk the latest in pop culture and review the newest movies, which this week will be the new whodunit sequel, Glass Onion, A Knives Out Mystery, which you can... Well, you can see it in a theater near you for at least couple more days but you will be able to watch it on netflix later this month um it might be a nice christmas day watch as it turns out um but we'll we'll get into all glass onion things later in the in the program here first um i guess because glass onion is a sequel although knives out was a very successful movie and perhaps a sequel was inevitable in our modern franchising era uh, we were going to talk about other movies that either could have had sequels or had set the most set themselves up for sequels, and then those sequels never materialized. It is something of a minor miracle that, um, well, again, not really a minor miracle, but that you know, n- n- at least not just the audience, but a studio saw the value of like let's do a bunch of Knives Out mysteries. Because as we'll get into it, I think that's going to be highly lucrative and highly successful. And maybe Tim would agree. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And sometimes that's just not as apparent. So we have each prepared sort of three sequels that would have, could have, should have happened. And uh, we're going to tee up this week's episode with that discussion. So, Tim, uh, this was your idea. So full credit to you. So uh, why don't you give us your first suggestion? Awesome. Thanks, Adam. Yeah, my first suggestion is Ferris Bueller's Day Off Work. <laughs> um, I think that would be that would be hilarious, awesome. Um, so much time has passed since the first movie in 1986 that it would. I think time is right. It might have been right about 10 years ago because in 2012 there was a viral video with uh, Matthew Broderick where he's it was just seconds long where he says, I'm going to take today off work mm-hmm. and speculation abounded about, okay, he's actually, or they're going to do a Ferris Bueller's day off sequel. It turned out it was just a teaser for a Super Bowl ad, uh, a, a Ferris Bueller themed Super Bowl ad for Honda mm-hmm. that was directed by Todd Phillips, where Matthew Broderick playing himself takes the day off as an actor, tells his agent he's sick, um, and he 
goes for a day out in Hollywood. Um, also no relation, Todd Phillips. Yeah, Todd. Well, that's my cousin, Todd Phillips. So. Oh, is it? Okay. <laughs> yeah. I thought he did. See, I'm not a fan of Joker, but I like the Hangover movies and I like that commercial. I watched it um, <laughs> for this. And it's it's a great commercial, um, but it's it's in keeping with the original. Uh, it has him, uh, has Matthew Broderick traveling around Hollywood. He goes to the Natural History Museum. He stares longingly at a walrus. And <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and it, but it shows the potential. And I think it, it would would it be great. They might still be able to do this, but maybe 10 years ago would have been a great time to have a mm. 21st century Ferris Bueller, have him be like a middle manager in an office. Mm-hmm. Um, and he takes the day off work. I, I think that would be one of the more brilliant concepts for a, a sequel that I've ever heard of. Um, and it would show like Ferris Bueller, right? We're so different in high school, but so much the same, like, He's this carefree spirit in high school, um, but does that catch up with him? Right? Does he have like commitment issues? Does he? Did he get you know sort of stuck in this office job or, or something that's not really his? What he dreamed to be, or if he even really had dreams, he's just this carefree guy who cuts class whenever he wants to. Mm-hmm. Um, so it would be interesting to see him in that new environment, and you know, cutting out from work. Um, <laughs> reconnecting with you know lost friends and lovers maybe cameron um he'll reconnect with him somehow and maybe cameron's like a billionaire or something now right because um because in high school he was this troubled sort but you never know what what he could have made of himself but i think that would that would be like a great concept hilarious movie um and all so I did some research into have they considered Ferris Bueller sequels and there's always been rumors about it um John Hughes and Matthew Broderick right after mm. the first Ferris Bueller was released in 1986 talked about oh maybe we could have him go to college or have his first job uh but they they felt no that's not really as significant as your last days of high school and they didn't feel it would stack up well with the original. So they never did it. And I think that was a fine decision at the time, but I think it would be awesome to actually have Ferris Bueller out there in the working world, just cut out of work and uh, play hooky from work and have, have an adventure, uh, have an adventure out there. And maybe he's still in Chicago. Maybe he's in New York now. Maybe he's ended up in some small town or suburban town or something. Um, I think you could have a lot of fun with it. It literally surprises me that in this age of like legacy sequels that nobody's proposed this. Yeah, (laughs) I I think it would be awesome. But there is there is an inter sequel or an Mm -hmm. interquel. I just learned this word doing research for this. (laughs) (laughs) There's an interquel that's being developed um, with the two valets who take the car for a joyride in the original. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Paramount Plus. Uh, is working on that this year, 2022. I'm um, just showing what they do during their their day off from their valet work when they get this classic Ferrari and take it for a joyride around Chicago. Interesting. So, looking forward to that. Looking forward to that interquel. And there was a TV series in 1990 called Ferris Bueller, but it lasted less than a season. 
Yeah, you know why? Because it it launched the same TV season as Parker Lewis Can't Lose. So you had two TV shows about um, like high functioning slackers in high school who were always honking off a principal figure. Okay. So it, um, only only one can survive. It's like when Thirty Rock and Studio Sixty came out in the same year. Right. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so they're like they're, that's too many of those right one only one only one can survive yeah and then saved by the bell came out shortly after that too right so i uh, think i think it was about the same time um yeah. oof, i don't know i i'd have to look it up um but i mean the other possibility is they could do like ferris as the dad now because mm-hmm. i i was i was looking up matthew broderick and his oldest child is 20 and uh he has two twins who are 13 so like he's like right in the strike zone to have like uh an obnoxious teenager of his own who wants to ditch school and um so he could almost he could almost be like the dad slash um oh what's that actor's name jeffrey jones figure in a in a new ferris yeah he's Uh, the authority figure now (laughs) yeah 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 totally hypocritical to what he did in the past yeah. exactly um so my first pick is similar um well not really it's uh <laughs> <laughs> it's the uh, it's uh the, a sequel to the 2016 movie the accountant they, they do keep talking about it um but the accountant was uh directed by gavin o'connor it is about a high functioning a man with high functioning autism who is a well he's basically like a freelance mob accountant um although he does do legit work uh as well and it is through this course we meet up with him in the movie where he's doing an audit of a robotics company that gets him into some trouble um where he gets to show his other skill set which is uh being like uh a plus ass kicker um well versed in all forms of hand-to-hand combat and uh guns um it's an interesting movie and it really does seem like it i mean it's sometimes you get these movies where it seems like they're setting up the franchise more than they're telling them the story of the movie but accountant does both those things rather well so you get the story of christian wolf which is the affleck character you get the story of this man named braxton who is like uh an enforcer for hire who spoiler alert ends up being christian wolf's long lost brother so there's a bit of a a reunion that a sequel could pick up on uh you know what would uh, the two brothers get up to if they were sort of in trouble together uh there's this story about a treasury agent played by jk simmons who's uh trying to find out who christian wolf is and what his deal is and he has a protege who could pick up that uh side of the story in a sequel and then there's um uh this woman justine who is um a non-vocal person on the spectrum who is kind of like his person behind the screen. Christian Wolf's person behind the screen is like his go-between and, uh, you know, kind of uh, secret researcher. And uh, she's really good at, you know, the computer stuff and keeping him one step ahead of the law and, and things like that. So it's like, it's all set up. It's all there. Mm -hmm. Um. Ben Affleck was really, really good at it. It really seemed like there was a lot of attention and, and care to to showing someone who is on the spectrum, but making them um, not not like showing them as like real people. 
uh, as a real person, fully fun, uh, a fully, um, I guess, three-dimensional person as opposed to like putting them up on a pedestal. It's like, oh, look what someone with autism can do. They can kill all kinds of people. But um, it, it feels like a real genuine approach. And I think O'Connor said himself, it's like he wanted to cr- kind of create like a superhero movie for for people with autism so they, they could, you know, sort of see... Um, you know, what they're capable of. I mean, even though what they're mm-hmm. capable of is crime, essentially, in this movie. But um, <laughs> it's, You can be the best criminal ever. You could be the best criminal. You could be, like, the FBI's number one most wanted. <laughs> um, but, I mean, uh, the, the murky morality of it aside, it is a lot of fun. Uh, Affleck is so good. Anna Kendrick's in it, too. Um, and and she's, uh, she's always good. Uh, John Berthel plays uh, Christian's surprise brother at the end. You get John Lithgow as a villain. Uh, just a great cast, great action. And it sets itself up so easily as a sequel. And I think um, if this was like maybe 30 years ago, we would we would be up to the Accountant 5 by now. But because it's sort of a mid-budget thing, it's with precious little CG. And it's, it's all dependent on the actors and the storytelling. Um, that's apparently harder to do than um than a superhero movie now so mm-hmm. there you go but i mean accountant is well worth checking out and i i do hope one of these days they get around to accountant part two account accountant harder <laughs> <laughs> all right tim what's your number two my number two is a movie that was proposed but never happened beetlejuice mm-hmm. goes hawaiian Mm-hmm. We talked about this one before, yeah. Yeah, it's top of mind for me because I went out as Beetlejuice for Halloween this year. <laughs> right? <laughs> did you go? Did you go Hawaiian now? <laughs> no, actually, no. Yes, <laughs> yes. Because I had a really bad blazer, nice. and I had a Hawaiian shirt underneath, and I I got a mask from Spirit Halloween, a Beetlejuice mask. So awesome. Yeah. So. Uh, I I've always liked the original. I'm not a huge Beetlejuice like junkie. It's become quite a cult movie. I've enjoyed. I've watched it a few times, and uh, yeah, it's great. The original was great with great cast: Alec Baldwin, Gina Davis, Catherine O'Hara, Jeffrey Jones, who you mentioned earlier, Winona Ryder, mm-hmm. and then Michael Keaton as the t- titular character Beetlejuice, right? <laughs> um, but I guess in 1988, Tim Burton was pretty busy with some other things. He's working on Batman yeah. and in the early nineties, Batman returns, but he did have on his radar for a short while and he may still have it on his radar. Again, I heard something about a Beetlejuice uh, sequel this year, but to do this uh, plop Beetlejuice and plop the uh, family and Jeffrey Jones into Hawaii Mm-hmm. Um, and he had Tim Burton hired Jonathan Gems to write a to write the script, and the script's widely available online. So mm-hmm. you just have to Google it, and you can read the script. Um, but Tim Burton thought it would be funny to match uh, the surfing backdrop of a beach movie <laughs> with like German expressionism. Yeah, <laughs> and I really love that because, and. I really love that because I have had a similar idea to do something like that. I, I just think it'd be so wild, like, like take an Elvis movie, like blue Hawaii and have like a nihilist character in that, in that, or like a beach blanket bingo as a backdrop and just have a real goth character as the protagonist. And that's what they were looking at doing. Um, 
and a full script was written uh, and it follows the Dietz family as they move to Hawaii where Charles, uh, the Jeffrey Jones character is developing Mm -hmm. a resort, Mm -hmm. uh, but it's on burial ground for ancient Hawaiian kahuna. And, uh, and from there hijinks ensues and uh, Beetlejuice actually wins the surf contest at one point. Yeah. Uh, So that would be, that would be fun to watch. Um, And there were several attempts to take that script, the Beetlejuice goes Hawaiian and and produce it in the early Mm nineties. Yeah. Tim Burton reached out to the writer of Heather's Daniel Walters to do a rewrite in 1991, but then he got busy with Batman returns. And then in 1996, Warner brothers approached Kevin Smith to rewrite the script. Mm-hmm. But he was busy working on Superman Lives, and also the origin of the sort of long-standing beef between Tim Burton and Kevin Smith. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Because apparently, like, actually, Kevin Smith suggested Tim Burton. I don't know. You probably know more than I do about this. For, but for I, Superman Lives, yeah, it was yeah. Uh, Kevin Smith suggested Tim Burton, and then Tim Burton, they, Warner Brothers took the suggestion, and Tim Burton fired Kevin Smith. Yeah, yeah, he didn't like he didn't like what he wrote. Didn't like the, the script. script. He wanted no. his own people and stuff. Yeah. Also, script you can easily find online is pretty good. Kevin Smith's Superman Lives script. Yeah, surprisingly yeah. decent. Yeah, and Kevin Smith didn't seem too disappointed about uh, Beetlejuice Goes Hawaiian falling through, though. Yeah, because he said, um, "Didn't we say everything we needed to say with the first Beetlejuice?" Yeah, and I think must, we did. It's <laughs> must we go tropical. <laughs> But I say yes to both. I think for Beetlejuice, it's such an odd little movie. Why not have an odd second movie? <laughs> Fair, enough. Fair enough. <laughs> I, I, I think that Beetlejuice Goes Hawaiian will forever be in our minds as uh, a, a, kind of as, as better in our minds uh, than it ever would have been in real life. Although I would say also, if you want to see what a Beetlejuice Goes Hawaiian might look like, on one of the Nightmare Before Christmas DVDs, um, there is a there is a special feature with like Tim Burton's like early shorts, and there is one about a disembodied head, alien head who enters a surf contest. So it's yeah. I, imagine that with a bigger budget, and I think you'll probably nail what Beetlejuice Goes to Hawaiian might have looked like, but. Yeah, that reminds me like Mars Attacks, right? It's mm-hmm. so kitschy. That was Tim Burton. Yeah, there's. Yeah, 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 yeah. And which, yeah, I, I love Mars Attacks, but I understand why people it, why it wasn't a hit at Christmas in 1996. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, for my second big is also a sequel that didn't happen. Guillermo del Toro's Hellboy Three. Uh, apparently, it was prohibitively expensive. Uh, for a time when the the DVD and blu-ray market had kind of crashed so this is like post 2008 when hellboy 2 the golden army came out which didn't which underperformed at the box office and then when the whole you know physical media thing started crashing it 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 then became kind of expensive the the economics of it didn't work out which is a shame because it um even without knowing a lot of details, and I tried my ass off to try and find details on the internet last night, um, but anytime Guillermo del Toro or Ron Perlman or Mike Mignola, who created the Hellboy graphic novel, talk about Hellboy 3, it's in very, very ambiguous terms, um, having to do with fatherhood, 
because Hellboy was uh, going to become father at the end of Hellboy 2. His his girlfriend, Liz, was pregnant with twins, hybrid human demon babies, I guess. Um, and it was also, and I, I think it talked about that it was going to follow up on a lot of the themes of uh, of the series, which is that, you know, Hellboy is essentially the harbinger of the apocalypse. That's his his reason for being is to unleash the apocalypse and um, to, to be the king of uh, hell on earth, as it were. And so, like, how do you reconcile all of that, you know, just being the lovable goofball that Hellboy is while having this sort of dark destiny while also becoming a dad to, um, I guess, mixed demon race babies it's uh it you know it could have been so crazy and so um out there i think it was perfectly suited for Guillermo del toro who would uh also would go on to do crazy things uh without the hellboy label if you're thinking about crimson peak or um the shape of water one of one of those won him an oscar um but uh it is a shame that we could never get Hellboy three, and I, I think anytime Ron Perlman gets goes on the the promotions beat, you know he's inevitably asked about, hey, would you do Hellboy three? And I think the last time somebody asked him, which was during the Nightmare Alley um, junket, he was like, I'm seventy one years old. You want me to put on all that makeup? <laughs> I'm hell old so, man now, right? <laughs> yeah. So uh, I, I unfortunately, unless it comes out in like an animated form or a comic book form, which I think Mike Mignola put the kibosh on, we'll, we'll never see it. But um, I mean, I love the first two Del Toro Hellboy movies. The one Neil Marshall made was huge misfire, even though he had Ian McShane yeah, as Professor Broom and he had Mila Jovovich as the villain. But Mila Jovovich, being a, a very physical actress, does nothing physical in hellboy so it's com- com- she's completely wasted um but yeah it's a shame we didn't get guillermo de Terrell's hellboy 3 but um we're gonna get pinocchio instead which comes out next month on netflix also so so tim that brings us to number threes uh what is your number three my number three is the departed two uh-huh. uh which sounds kind of weird because didn't everybody die in the original <laughs> departed but there was Mark uh, Wahlberg lived. Mark Wahlberg lived. Sergeant Dig- Dignum, uh, who's just hilarious in the original movie, right? He's, <laughs> I think he's hilarious and relatable too, right? Yes, yeah, as, yeah. as over the top as he is during like the interview processes with Leonardo DiCaprio, he's he is very relatable. He's probably one of the most moral characters in in the original, even yeah. though yeah, he kills somebody at the end. Um, but it's okay. Yeah. It was a rat, and they showed yeah. the rat at the end to make sure we understood. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, that's the thing too, because they showed that rat, the really obvious rat. So, I think they do need a sequel just to uh, clean we that need, up a bit. We need the rat story. What's the I, rat story? Yeah, the rat could go down the windowsill, follow Mark Wahlberg down the street. You could have a long tracking shot to start. Nice. From I like the rat's it. perspective onto Sergeant <laughs> Dingham. And I, but seriously, folks. No, I think I think I think that would be good. I I, I think uh, it, it could be really interesting to see what happens with that character because it's he uh, definitely is one of the most entertaining parts of the original Departed, and see you know where he goes from there. Um, he's quit the police force. He's a murderer now. So where does he go from there? Um, 
and apparently this wasn't a concept that was sort of was being developed. Uh, Mark Wahlberg and the original departed screenwriter, William Monaghan, uh, were working the idea and William Monaghan uh, w- was working on a story, um, but they pitched it before it was really fleshed out. Mm-hmm. And uh, William Monaghan said in this interview, I read that he hates pitching. Um, so it didn't go well because uh, yeah, yeah. he had his idea could it sounds kind of convoluted but I'd, I'd love to see how it actually worked out uh because he wanted to do sort of a prequel an interquel and a sequel at the same time so he wanted it to be before during and after the action of the first film mm-hmm. uh and i i love the first movie so much uh i know it won the best picture but it's sometimes sometimes you get mixed reviews in retrospect um but i think it's definitely a masterpiece and de- definitely one of Martin Scorsese's best movies. And I'd, I'd like to see that sequel uh, during the pitch. They talked about like the stars they were going to get like Robert De Niro and Brad Pitt, mm. um, which I'm sure the studio liked, but I'm, I'm more interested in what the actual idea is yeah. having a movie that's before, during and after the original sounds pretty interesting to me, um, you know, but it might not, sound like box office goal to studio heads back when they were pitching it in uh, 2010 or 2011. And it's worth pointing out that uh, there were three Af- Infernal Affairs movies. The, 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 the part of it was based on the original Infernal Affairs, which was a Hong Kong uh, movie. I can't yeah. remember. Tony Leung uh, starred in it. Um, yeah, Andrew... Andrew Lau and Alan Mack were the directors there. So, I mean, it, it's, it's not outside the, the realm of possibility. Um, <clears throat> speaking of series that uh, suddenly ended, uh, my, my, my last pick is, uh, depending on your source, it's either called Batman Unchained or Batman Triumphant. This was supposed to be Joel Schumacher's follow-up to Batman and Robin. Um. And Schumacher says this was this unlike Batman and Robin. And here's the thing: people forget before Batman and Robin came out, like Schumacher had been signed. It was a done deal to do this next Batman, Batman Five, because the the studio was so bullish on the footage that was coming in. They got George Clooney, who was like the hot new movie star. They got Alicia Silverstone, who like was like just a year after Clueless, or maybe two years after Clueless. But you know, she was. Um, Going places, uh, Chris O'Donnell. Well, he has he had NCIS Los Angeles in his future, which we didn't know at the time. But um, y- you know, so th- this was going places. This was this was good stuff. And then Batman and Robin came out, completely collapsed. It is having a rethink at the moment because it's so Id- idiosyncratic compared to today's comic book movies. People are, I think, I never hated Batman and Robin. I thought it. W- I thought there were a lot of weird choices in Batman and Robin, but I never the hated nipples. it. For for example, um, <laughs> turning Mister Freeze from a tragic figure into a nonstop pun machine also a b- <laughs> perplexing choice. But um, the hockey playing goons, okay, where I could I could list the flaws all day. But um, Joel Schumacher swears up and down this was going to get back to Batman basics, being a little darker. Uh, the villain was going to be the Scarecrow, 
um, who was going to spray Batman with the toxic gas, which was going to make Batman go through some psychological things, including seeing the ghosts of past villains, um, which I sort of have some reservations that they would be able to get all of those ultra famous stars back mm-hmm. at the era, at like the the last gleaming of the the star era of Hollywood. Um, but they were going to get Nicolas Cage apparently as Scarecrow, which would have been really interesting. I'm not a hundred percent sure that would have went down because I'd heard about Jeff Goldblum at the time, possibly playing Scarecrow. But I think those are two great choices. There was also a rumor about Harley Quinn being another villain in it, and that it was going to be Courtney Love, which I oh. would have loved to see. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, except it would be instead of being. Uh, joker's lover uh harley quinn would be the joker's daughter as in the, the jack nicholson joker she would be his daughter coming back and trying to get revenge on batman so it it would have been so interesting to see it because if you look at some of the deleted scenes for batman forever there is an interest on joel schumacher's part to not do the gaudy tacky campy stuff but to also do some like probing psychological stuff. They cut all that out of Batman forever, but, mm-hmm. <laughs> but it was there. <laughs> um, yeah. They they filmed the scenes and I, you know, there must've been something to it because they got Val Kilmer to come in and do it. And he left when he, I guess when, after he saw the finished product. So, mm-hmm. um, I mean, there's stuff to it. There's stuff to it. Um, I, I would have loved to have seen it. Would I have hated it? Maybe on the other hand, maybe um, we don't get, um, we don't get the the Christopher Nolan Dark Knight series because it turned out that Batman Five was so good, it would lead to Batman Six and Seven and Eight, and mm-hmm. who knows what happens. Yeah, it sounds sounds like an interesting concept, and the cast would be pretty eclectic too. Yeah, Probably I would just lo- have to get a lot of insurance on the cast. There, <laughs> <laughs> I would love to see Scarecrow, Nicholas Cage, water tank blast of my fear toxin. <laughs> that would be great. Um. <laughs> Speaking of uh, impressions or silly voices, we're going to talk about Last Onion, a Knives Out mystery that is coming up next. We're listening to end credits here on CFRU 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, Guelph Campus and Community Radio. You're so beautiful with an edge and a charm and so careful when I'm in your Alongside and underneath the parquet, you've been charged with a serious task. Because tonight, in this very room, a murder will be committed. My murder. You will have to closely observe the crime. Consider what you know about each other. Know that across the island, I've hidden clues. Some may be helpful, some may misdirect. That's for you to determine. But if anyone, can name the killer, tell me how they achieved the murder, and most importantly, what was the motive? That person wins our game. Any questions? Uh, wait, 
what are we waiting? I, what do you mean, what do you, I, what do you, what do you want? No, no, nothing. I just, I, I just thought maybe there was a prize or something. I, I, an iPad or like. Yeah, okay, fine. Yeah, no, no, the winner gets an iPad. Alrighty, that was a clip from Glass Onion, Knives Out Mystery. It's the new film from writer and director Ryan Johnson. And it stars Daniel Craig, Edward Norton, Janelle Monet, Catherine Hahn, Leslie Odom Jr., Jessica Henwick, Kate Hudson, and Dave Bautista. And I'm going to just start with a couple of notes. It's interesting that in a year where we got a real Agatha Christie adaptation, Death on, Death on the Nile, and then we got another movie that is a murder mystery set against the backdrop of staging an Agatha Christie adaptation, see how they run, we get... An honest-to-God, Agatha Christie mold mystery <laughs> that is not connected to Agatha Christie at all. Um, but hey, uh, I, I think we we remember back in 2019, we all loved the first Knives Out movie. Everybody on the panel. Yeah, yeah for sure. I was, I was buttressed, if you will, to have some uh, worry that uh, Glass Onion would not reach those heights. I was buttressed, I say. Uh, <laughs> it's a good word god did i love this movie oh yeah awesome it was great it was so yeah. great <laughs> <laughs> review over <laughs> awesome that's amazing yeah so comparable do you have to ask did you like it better than the first one i don't know i've watched i've watched knives out at least three times now um, since seeing it the first time, it's become like a once a year watch kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. It's so hard. Like, like you, they're, they're both similar in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. But there's, um, it, it's it's like the old fashioned sequel problem where, um, you get the first one made, you do it on this tight budget, you do it on this tight timeline, and it becomes a huge hit. And then so you go to make the sequel, and the studio's like, "Here's all this money we didn't give you the first time." <laughs> <laughs> and so you could afford things like a yo-yo ma can- cameo or <laughs> an cameos. Ethan hawk cameo i mean yeah. all the cameos are great all the cameos are great serena so williams the serena williams cameo <laughs> is especially great yeah. um but yeah it, it's I, I find the scaling of it hard to rectify i'd have to see glass onion again before saying for sure which which is the better one but for now yeah. i'm willing to say it at least met my ex- my sky high expectations for what a sequel to Knives Out uh, I was expecting. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, I I really enjoyed it as well, and I liked um, Daniel Craig coming back as Benoit yes. Blanc with yes. his Colonel Sanders accent. That's <laughs> that's always good. And I, my 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 favorite scene is when he uh, they're doing like the fake murder mystery. <laughs> That's and right. All this build up by Edward Norton and Edward Norton's awesome. And he, he's always great when he plays a Cretan, when he's just like a horrible person. Like yes. I think of him in Birdman and yes, he played worm in rounders back in the nineties. He was like best friend, Matt Damon, poker player. And just this really reckless, uh, this reckless poker hustler just got them in trouble with, with the mob. Mm-hmm. Um, he's just good when he's just playing a bad person. And, in this, he's playing like, yeah, this billionaire Elon Musk type. Yeah, there's <laughs> Musk vibes coming all over this, which <laughs> yeah. is 
is like super timely in in retrospect yeah. uh, given you know watching uh, a grown man who has like honest to god accomplishments in the real world just deteriorate hour by hour on the social <laughs> on the social media platform he paid way too much for but yeah 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 but that 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 was my f- favorite scene though when he like there's just such a build up by the billionaire there uh <laughs> Edward Norton. Oh, I've had writers working on this murder mystery. <laughs> Julian <you know>. Flynn. <laughs> Julian Flynn. We're we we've like this is going to take all weekend, and then uh, Benoit Blanc stands yeah. up. And the great, I really like the timing of that too because he hasn't said much the whole movie at that point. He said yeah. like a few words here and there, and then all of a sudden he gives this big speech to like solve the murder mystery. It's <laughs> it's it's hilarious. Yeah, and the cast really speak to the times too they're just just these sort of ignorant fools right yeah Um, yeah. uh who've kind of ridden the coattails uh of the billionaire and doing their social media influencing and stuff like that yeah disrupting uh, they're disruptors they're disruptors yeah (laughs) yeah and it's funny too with uh with Edward Norton's character, the malappropri- malappropriisms throughout. Um, yes. Cause early on you're just like, okay, he says things like infraction point. I'm like, isn't that inflection point? <laughs> right. And you're just, but you just go with it. It's funny. Like it expects the audience will just go with it. Right. And then, <laughs> it's revealed later like he's just a major idiot right there's yeah. a great there's a great scene at the beginning where uh leslie odom jr is this uh the scientist lionel who works for for edward norton um and he, he's like holding it he apparently miles braun the, the billionaire played by edward norton only sends faxes he doesn't have email or a cell phone he does faxes um and so he's he's faxing stuff to lionel all night long things like and i wrote this down AI in dogs equals discourse, which is one of those things you hear at a TED talk. You're like, oh, wow, this person's really cutting edge, but it's utterly meaningless. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Which is is like, this is one of the great things about what, what Ryan Johnson does. These things are scripted so hard. And I don't mean that as a negative. It just means like every scene pays off in some way and in every scene where somebody is talking to miles braun or talking about about miles braun you are shown that he is an idiot and that he's <laughs> he's not as creative as he thinks he is and this yeah. and you, you you keep being presented with this evidence and you dismiss it because everyone's like talking about what a genius he is and, and you think to yourself well maybe he's had like some kind of success that you know maybe it is an elon musk thing um, where you know he's had great success as a business person, but now he's in the the idiot savant phase. Emphasis on the idiot. Mm-hmm. Um, but what's what Johnson keeps pounding at you is like, no, he's an idiot. Let me make it clear to you, he's an idiot. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and yeah. it's and it, you know it, it casts everyone else in sort of a uh, you know a bad light too because like all these people are like hanging on to this idiot for dear life, and it's it's all like it's all like just capitalist muckraking. It's, it's, it's so bizarre, but I mean, it's what Johnson does. It's like, he, he has this complex whodunit, but it's also this like 
seething social commentary and i think i think i think the commentary is a little bit more clumsier in this one it's it's, yeah. it's on point it's just clumsier than uh and, and not as like i think the clumsier parts of knives out or when it's like um especially the trump two, references and stuff the, the trump references yeah. and when uh catherine newton calls the the kid you know a right-wing troll and he calls her like a liberal snowflake it's like okay yeah ryan i i get it i get it ryan it's okay yeah but um, but I, I I mean the metaphor is still apt. It, it, he he is really touching on a reality here, and it's dressed up as like this elaborate Agatha Christie mystery, which um is good on its own. But you get all this other stuff too that yeah <laughs> that really sizzles. Yeah, and I, yeah, I, I I agree. I think like you're saying with the bigger budget, he mm. went more in that direction. Um, because I remember when we were talking about knives out, we had it on our best of show a few years Mm -hmm. ago, we spoke, Mm -hmm. okay, there's, you know, this alt-right kid in it and stuff. And there's a few references, but this goes a little more full bore in that direction. Mm -hmm. And, and so many cameos too. Right. Um, So many. And and it's sort of take down a Hollywood that kind of reminds me of like South park, bigger, longer, uncut a bit, you know, like Mm. Jeremy Renner's hot sauce. And, (laughs) (laughs) but that's, that's another thing. It's like, you think it's a throwaway reference, but then it comes back as like an essential plot point is that scene in, in the dinner party where he's like, Oh, this is delicious. And it's like, Oh yeah, it's Jeremy, Jeremy Renner's hot sauce. He sends me three pallets a year. Take some home with you. And then that plays into the plot later in mm-hmm. a really uh, you don't want to spoil it, obviously, but yeah. it's 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 fascinating how that how the Jeremy Renner hot sauce bit pays off. <laughs> yeah, that'd be a good sequel for this uh, Jeremy Renner hot sauce. <laughs> Knives out mystery. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> it's but, at Jeremy Renner's house. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah I thought. Uh, yeah. For me, I. I think I did prefer the original a little bit more, mm. um, but I really like the cast in this one. Janelle Monet is oh, she's great, yeah, terrific playing the. Um, I guess I can say well, that. that. Well, I I would <laughs> say that's a spoiler. <laughs> spoiler alert. Um, but yeah, she she does awesome work in it, and then Kate Hudson, yeah, really well done as the really ignorant. <laughs> oh my gosh she's so good it's yeah. the line where her jessica henwick doesn't get a lot to do but there's because she plays kate hudson's assistant there are scenes where the group of them are sitting there and she's just reacting to the idiocy that's going on and it cuts to her facial expressions and they're brilliant and uh yeah uh jessica henwick may be the underappreciated mvp here um mm-hmm. but just like there there are cut scenes of her facial expressions where i burst out laughing it's <laughs> yeah and that was her uh kate hudson's assistant she yeah. played right yeah yeah thinking of that now it's yeah she's like the assistant you know she's the subordinate to the subordinate right yeah <laughs> you know she's it's the true. one person who's subordinate to the subordinate so you know yeah the billionaire has control over everyone and then she kate hudson has control over the assistant so it's it's yeah an interesting role she's the one who's maybe most grounded in reality uh out of them and and she's having to put up with just this 
you know, <laughs> just the stupidity. And, <laughs> the cavalcade oh, you, of stupidity. Yeah, you have a private phone? Okay. What have you been doing on your private phone? Yeah. <laughs> well, there's, there's a great scene because this all takes place in the early days of the pandemic. So we get some interesting like COVID humor, which is, I, I think, you know, in, in, in the modern era, whenever they like shows or movies actually tackle COVID, it just, it feels kind of, I don't know. It, it just feels oddly like we're, we're, we're putting like the pin so hard and like where we are right now, I guess you can't not, deal with it i mean if you're especially if you're like a Grey's anatomy show where it's a, a medical show it'd be a little weird if you didn't deal with COVID. but what i found here is that this is kind of like the first kind of covid era movie where it incorporates the pandemic in a way that doesn't feel like it's tacked on like they have to do it it incorporates it in a really interesting way and all, the whole thing with at the beginning with birdie having this loud obnoxious party um at the beginning of the pandemic and saying that all these hundred people in her apartment are part of her pod um it was was funny and then in the background of that scene where they're all on the phone together and she says oh my assistant's putting out a fire and they're like oh what did you say on twitter now and it's like no she's literally putting out a fire because there's like flaming jugglers and in, in this uh lockdown party uh it's um <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> there's so much going on in every scene and that's like one example yeah and then yeah, and then they come go onto the boat and they're all wearing masks and you're like, oh man, this is it's doing a good job incorporating COVID, but are they going to be wearing masks for a while here? <laughs> and that's and then, what Ethan Hawk shows up. And then Ethan Hawk shows up, <laughs> just sprays something down their throat, <laughs> down each of their throats and say, You're good now. Oh, yeah, and you're good. Benoit Blanc's like, what is that? Some sort of antidote? Is that like what is uh disinfectant? <laughs> no, you're, you're good. good now. You're good. You're good. <laughs> the way the way Ethan Hawk keeps saying you're good. It's, <laughs> it's such a treat. And of course, that's another example because you get a, pr a prime clue in that scene that comes into play later in the actual murder mystery. Um, but you don't realize it. It just seems like an offhand line, but it comes back to haunt later. It is like, oh, I'm, I'm getting I'm getting chills just thinking about it. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that was, yeah, definitely. And see it in a theater, too, with everyone's reactions, yes, right? Yes. And it's only playing for a few more days. So if you have yes. a chance, definitely go out. But it's fun on Netflix. But maybe have a few people over in your pod to watch it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> enjoy it with an audience, you know? I think that's, yeah. I, I what, what I found interesting, I saw it at a noon show on friday and there were like 20 other people there so i do wonder how this how f I, I wonder how much business is going to do we're recording this way before the box office numbers for the weekend come out unfortunately but i do wonder how well it's going to do like is it going to be like kind of like a smash it's going to make a lot of bank in this one week because this is completely against even this limited run in theaters is completely against netflix sort of policy which is you know, we'll put it out in a few theaters, ugh, whatever. And then, you know, but you, you really have to watch this on our platform. Um, and I guess, I guess this was part of Ryan Johnson's deal was like, because the, the real shame of him selling the sequel to, to Netflix was the fact that Knives Out comes out in theaters in 2019 is a big hit. 
Mm-hmm. Um, like it's not an Avatar or Star Wars level hit, but it is a, like a, it made like three hundred and fifty million dollars worldwide, essentially on like a forty maybe 30 40 million dollar budget so that is massive that's a massive hit so it was like a shame that he would sell it to netflix which is allergic to putting this out on anything other than their own platform so i I, i'm gonna be very curious to see what how much money um knives out makes in theaters and you know whether that has an effect on netflix's ideas about theatrical release um Maybe how it might affect future Knives Out sequels, because both Daniel Craig and Ryan Johnson said, hey, we'll keep making them as long as you want them. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, it, it there's a lot there's a lot going on other than just the movie. But as for the movie itself, um, yeah, I would I would argue that as well, because there's um, there's so much there's <laughs> there's so much laugh out loud moments. And those are like really great crowd moments. And like the some of the surprises too, um, those are really great crowd moments too. And you can feel that in the crowd. Like when when there's like a twist and yeah. um and the crowd is you can you could feel the crowd clutch. It's like, oh my goodness, I didn't expect that. Um, even if it's a small crowd, it's yeah. I I I wouldn't trade that, which is why I wanted to see this in the theater. I didn't want to really wait till it came out on Netflix and sit in my house and yeah. I mean, I, I'll, I'll, I'm going to watch it again when it comes out on Netflix for sure. But it just, there's something so satisfying about watching it in the theater. And I, there's a couple of days left. So if you're interested in Glass Onion at all, I second that. Go to a live in-person movie theater. Uh, it's worth it. For sure. Yeah. And it'll be interesting if Netflix, uh, if there's some flexibility in their policies going forward, like you're saying, maybe it's not a week, but a few weeks or mm. something that, cause yeah, seeing it in a theater, that's, that's, that's where it's at. I think Netflix will be good and it'll be good for us. You know, it's good to watch a second, third time at home. Mm. Um, but yeah, in, in a theater, it's, it, it's just, you get everyone's reactions and this is meant to be a crowd pleaser, yes. which is interesting because it's such a smart crowd pleaser. Right. Yeah. Um, which is, unusual for these times i think you know to have something that's so entertaining old school entertaining like Mm -hmm. like agatha christie inspired (laughs) and still for it to be really intelligent and relevant Mm -hmm. i think that's 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 pretty awesome so i'm interested to see what he comes out with next and what the next uh knives out mysteries will be let me get some more Hugh Grant because that's a that's a situation that's introduced in this movie. That, there was a uh, there was a reaction to Hugh, Hugh Grant when he was on the screen. Too. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> People love Hugh Grant. Um, <laughs> I wasn't prepared for that. It's like, is there really is there this like really this big a cult a Hugh Grant cult that <laughs> there is yeah. and there is apparently. Um, yeah, it's I, I love. I love Benoit Blanc. I love Daniel Craig playing Benoit Blanc. It feels like he's lampshading everything he did with Bond for like 15 years, um, including the introduction of like him sitting in the bathtub playing video games with uh, Angela Lansbury, Stephen Sondheim, Natasha Leone, and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Um, <laughs> playing Clue and he's not good at it, right? And he's, like, right. he's like talking the whole time about <laughs> Clue's a dumb game because all you do is like search different rooms and this is a little bit of a spoiler but not really essentially the plot hinges on searching rooms um to figure out who did it um which which is which is a little detail that is so funny 
but uh, yeah, the, the the fun for me about revisiting this on Netflix is is to go back and sort of look at those, look for the clues again, um, because I was just like sort of scrolling through the the Reddit discussion about Glass Onion, and you know there are a lot of really smart viewers who picked out things that I didn't see, and I picked out stuff that I I haven't seen it or seen other people um talk about seeing and so it'll be knowing where the story takes you going back and and looking for the clues again and again it's the structure of the thing is interesting and this isn't i don't think this is too much of a spoiler but you get about halfway through the movie and then it rewinds takes you back to the beginning of the movie (laughs) yeah (laughs) and, and shows you things from an entirely different perspective um and you still have kind of no idea it's going um so i mean this is it's it's an entertaining movie but it plays with form and function um it's a great cast uh we didn't talk about dave batista but dave batista is all like yeah (laughs) uh, as as a comedic talent um this big burly guy is is like up there um aside i mean you you can see the talent with this and you see it in like in guardians of the galaxy as well, just how funny Dave Bautista can be. And it's funny that in any, like his sort of blatantly comedic stuff, he hasn't really been able to tap into that, but in this other stuff he can. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And then we, <laughs> because it's a Ryan Johnson movie, we get, uh, did, did you spot the, the Joseph Gordon Levitt cameo? I read about it. I didn't spot her at the time. I read. <laughs> no, it neither did I. But that he's the the hourly dong. He's the dong voice. <laughs> he's yeah. the voice of the dong. He's the dong voice. <laughs> <laughs> Which um, is is it, it tickles me um, that this is this is what GGL does. Um, but yeah, it's uh, yeah. It, I I'm I'm really kind of impressed and surprised that. Um, well, number one, that we've managed to make it through this review without getting too terribly revealed with the the spoilers, because I mean, this is this is a really hard movie to talk about with, yeah. without getting into spoilers. But it, it it the the real surprise is that Johnson pulled the rabbit out of his hat, and Glass Onion manages to justify the faith of Knives Out that this is a series that can be inventive um, repeatedly. Um, it can be funny repeatedly. It can be engaging and surprising repeatedly. And it's a very good sign that this this deal to get, I guess, years of knives out mysteries with uh, Benoit Blanc. Hey, if this is what if this was if this is what Daniel Craig wants to do, he has my blessing. Yeah, go from James Bond to this. I think that's a good transition, actually. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's a good. Tra- it's yeah, it's a good transition. Um, yeah, it's. Uh, I love it. I, you know, it's it's so funny because it, in both Knives Out and this, Benoit Blanc is kind of like on the sides until the director orders the spotlights that, to be put on Benoit Blanc so we can unravel everything. Yeah, and Daniel Craig owns all those scenes, even though it's like he's memorizing like pages of dialogue, and he has to do this incredibly thick Southern. <laughs> 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 it's 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 a. Foghorn Leghorn, so make compared to two too. Yeah, it's a masterstroke. It's a mask. He is great. This is great. Yeah. Um, 
this is the end of the episode. Okay. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> Tell me, did you did you like that movie, Adam? Yeah. Yeah, it was okay. It's okay. <laughs> um, that's the end of the show. We hope you liked it. If you want to listen to us again, you can find it on our website, endcreditsradioshow.com. You can download it from the Guelph Politicast channel every Friday on Podbean or through your favorite podcast app at Apple, Stitcher, Google, TuneIn, and Spotify. When you're on Spotify, you can find a playlist for much of the music that you hear in end credits. Just search for end credits on CFRU on your Spotify app. You can also find us on social media on Facebook at End Credits Radio Show and on Twitter at End Credits Radio. And Tim, where can people find you on the Internet? On the Internet, you can find me on Flash in the Deadpan on social media. And yeah, let me know. If you want to reach out with any movie requests, I got to do my top five list. We all need oh, to do yeah. it soon. Yep, so yep. I think we've got some contenders now, but definitely need to see some more movies <laughs> in the next little while here. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I've been making my list and there's a lot of, there's a lot of, a lot of potentials. Let me just say that. Um, so where was I? Uh, I'll be back here tomorrow on CFRU Thursday at 5 PM for news and politics on open sources. Guelph is Scotty Hertz. In the meantime, I'm personally on Twitter and Instagram at Adam A. Donaldson, or you can check out my news and politics site at guelphpolitico.ca, and you can stay tuned for more great programming here on CFRU 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, Guelph Campus and Community Radio. We shall return next Wednesday at 3 p.m. for more end credits, and we will see you then.